0: Well, happy four-year birthday, anniversary, however y'all roll around here. I am so excited to be with you all. I've got a special heart, a uh, special place in my heart for church plants. Uh, gosh, 18 years ago. Uh, my wife and I uh, moved to a city we'd never been to before. We had a desire to plant a gospel-centered, disciple-making, multi-ethnic church in the most segregated city in the nation at the time, which was Memphis, Tennessee. We wanted to storm the gates of hell. Uh, so it was uh, me, my wife, and 26 other people from around the country. I was the only piece of chocolate in the room. Uh, that was our multi-ethnic. Some white folks were like, can I laugh at that? Yes, you can laugh at that. And... Uh, So just stretching out on faith and believe in God and uh, praying like I've never prayed before. I remember one time early on in our ministry, uh, the uh, gentleman, Ben, who was handling our finances said, look, uh, we ain't got it. We ain't going to make payroll. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, I took vows to my wife to provide. And so I'm immediately thinking about, you know, taking an application out at Chili's or wherever and, Then I just felt the Spirit say, why don't we pray about it? And we prayed about it, and the next day we showed up, and a check for $25,000 out of nowhere just kind of popped up in our mailbox, and we literally saw God give us manna from heaven, and so God's doing a work in you as he's doing a work collectively in this church, and I'm just so honored to be here and to celebrate with you. I give honor to Pastor Ryan and Pastor uh, Rod uh, for their courageous leadership. I hope we're building here a culture not of idolization, but a culture of honor, and uh, I want to encourage you to, to give God praise for the leaders that he's entrusted you with, uh, if I was at a Pentecostal church, someone would have shouted right then, would have said amen. They would have run around the room or something. If you are excited about the leaders God's given you, would you give God a hand clap hand clap of praise. And then there are families. Uh, I, am, I am so, so grateful uh, to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Hosea chapter 3. As I was just thinking, you know, wh- what can I come alongside and encourage you with? Uh, Hosea chapter 3 just began ringing in my mind, Hosea chapter 3. In just a few moments, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Calm down, chill out, that's six verses, Um, and uh, lift up some thoughts and we can continue on. But before we do that, let me say a word of prayer right now. Father, I, I praise you for every life that's been changed through this church. I thank you, Father, for Uh, Everyone that's been baptized, every soul that's been saved, every every single person who's been encouraged, every married person whose marriage has been strengthened, every follower of Jesus Christ, Lord God, who can look back through the rearview mirror of their journey with gospel hope and say, I'm a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ because of me being a part of the family of God in this local ecclesia, this local assembly. Father, I pray for many, many, many more years of great faithfulness in and through this church. I grew up here in Atlanta, and so personally, Lord God, I, I covet churches like this uh, that are all about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, making disciples, and especially, Lord God, in a southern town like this, that, that it would happen in a multi-ethnic context. These things, Lord God, I believe, as I search the scriptures, are right at the crosshairs Uh, of your will and so Lord God would you bless keep this church free from scandal I pray Uh, I pray faithfulness Lord God and above all I pray love help us Lord God as we as we search what that looks like in Jesus name amen several years ago a young man sat down to have a conversation with an elderly woman and uh, this elderly woman started to pour her heart out to this young man and not long into the conversation, this young man um, was distracted by a dish full of peanuts that was situated in the coffee ta- on the coffee table between he and this elderly woman. Now, these peanuts to this young man looked off the chain. I mean, off the chain. And so he was distracted to the point where he interrupted the elderly lady and said, Ma'am, I'm so sorry, but these peanuts look off the chain. Do you mind if I have some? She paused. She paused. For a moment felt like an eternity as she's pausing he's thinking to himself what in the world do you think I would have requested you know for her to give me a couple thousand dollars based on her response but finally she acquiesced uh, she began pouring her heart out again as he placed his hand in the dish and started popping the peanuts in his mouth and wouldn't you know it several moments later uh, this young man looked down into an empty dish and he got all flustered and embarrassed he cut off the elderly woman again, and she's pouring out her heart. He says, ma'am, I'm so sorry. My mama raised me better than this. Here I am, a guest in your house, and I done ate up all your peanuts. But I got to tell you, ma'am, uh, they're as good as they look. They're off the chain. I got to ask you, where in the world did you get these peanuts? Well, now she pauses even longer. You know, feels like an eternity in reality it was probably 10, 15 seconds. She turns a deep shade of red finally she gathers herself together she says to the young man well young man as you can see I'm an elderly woman and as such I have no teeth these peanuts used to be covered in chocolate but since I don't have any teeth I just suck the chocolate off and spit them back into the dish the moral of the story is is that not everything is as it appears and what's true of once chocolate covered peanuts I'm afraid especially being down south It's true of far too many people who name the name of Jesus Christ, but in reality, they're frauds. It was C.S. Lewis who once gave a lecture at Oxford who said the great paradox of heaven will be when we get there, we will see people on one hand who are there that we knew for sure would not be there. But on the other hand, when we get there, we won't see people that we knew for sure would be there, but, but they're not there. As my grandmama used to say, not everybody talking about heaven is going. In Matthew chapter 7, what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls the most harrowing chapter in all of the Bible, Jesus is coming to the crescendo of what we might know to be the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Parenthesis, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, if you want a blinkist version of what the Christian life looks like, start in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Don't start in Genesis. You'll die a slow death by the time you get to Leviticus. But it was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who once said that, that Matthew 7 is the most harrowing chapter there is because here's Jesus reaching the crescendo of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord... Will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the, one, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then a few verses later, he says, You shall recognize them by their, their fruit. Fruit is a changed and changing lifestyle that cannot be blamed on the normal maturation process of adulthood. But fruit is a changed and changing lifestyle that can only be blamed on the accomplice of the Holy Spirit pulsating through the life of a yielded Christian. In other words, every believer should be able to look through the rearview mirror of their journey with Jesus and conclude two things. One, I'm not all all the way there yet. Uh, we used to sing a little song I was talking to a, to a couple uh, there they are in the back they spent some time in the church I grew up in Brian Bible Baptist Church uh, we used to sing a little song called um, please be patient with me God is not through with me yet it's deeply theological sanctification is progressive. But secondly, while every true legitimate follower of Jesus will be able to conclude on one hand, I'm not all the way there yet. We should also be able to conclude, I'm not all the way where I once was. He's changing me. As my pastor, Bishop Kenneth Olmer, once said in front of his church of about 13,000, so I don't mind saying in front of you. He says, you know, when I first got saved, I used to cuss at the drop of a hat. But now since following Jesus, I don't cuss that fast anymore. I shouldn't have said that. We got some kids in here, so let me fix that. Uh, Obviously, he's not saying it's okay to use bad words, but what is he saying? He's saying the spirit is changing me. I haven't arrived, but I'm not all the way where I once was. How do I know that I'm saved? There's fruit. What does this fruit look like? Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't it interesting that the leadoff batter to the list is love? It was Jesus who was sequestered with his, with his followers right before he was to go to the cross. A little room overlooking the Kidron Valley. And he says these words, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, not by the arguments you have on Facebook, not by the amount of theology that you know, not by what church you attend, but by the love that you have for one another. Love is the badge of the believer. An unloving Christian is an oxymoron. Jesus would say it this way, that... The whole law, 613 commandments, can be minimized down to two. Love the Lord your God with the totality of your being and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It was Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, who said it this way, now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I love what one New Testament scholar says. He says, love is the MVP of all Christian virtues. So on this, your birthday, I thought I would explore with you what it really looks like to be a people not of tolerance. Tolerance is such a low ethic. I tolerate you. Thank you. Christians are not called to tolerate. We're called to love. What does that look like? It was Robert Smith, Jr., that great homiletics preaching professor at Beeson Divinity School, who says every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. I want to give you the picture of what it really looks like to love. And that's why Hosea 3 is helpful today. Let me just read the story, lift up some thoughts, and we can go on about our business. Hosea writes... In verse one of Hosea three, and the Lord said to me, go again, love, love. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is, not used to be, is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So, verse two, watch the detail I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. If you want a picture of love, here it is. As we come to the book of Hosea, God is peering over the balcony of heaven. And he does not like what he sees. He calls his prophet Hosea into a closed door meeting with himself. He says, Hosea, I've got a problem. The problem is, Hosea, is I have entered into covenant, not contract, with my people. You do know covenants and contracts are completely different. Contracts are performance oriented. Some of you all, you signed a contract at your job. If you hit certain goals, uh, we'll we'll give you a bonus. We'll re-up the agreement for the next year. If you don't, you may be looking for another job. Contracts are performance oriented. You do your part and I'll do my part. They're 50 50 propositions. And yet, as the saying goes, if anyone tells you they'll meet you halfway, they're typically a poor judge of distance. But when you got saved, God didn't enter into a contract with you. You didn't perform your way in and you can't perform your way out. He entered into a covenant. God says, Hosea, I've got a problem. I've entered into a covenant with my bride, Israel. And yet my bride, Israel, is a serial adulterer. You do understand that every time we sin, we commit spiritual adultery. We say in so many words, God, you're not enough for me. I've got to have this to satisfy me. I've got to have money, I've got to have that relationship, I've got to have those possessions, I've got to live in that neighborhood, I've got to have that status, I've got to have that success thing. But God plus anything equals nothing. And so here's God, he's saying to his people, they keep on cheating on me and yet God says, Hosea, that's not really my main problem. My main problem is that even though my people are giving me an excuse to divorce them, in my holiness and righteousness, I refuse to. Hosea, I need to show them that I have more mercy than they have mess. That there is nothing they can do to ever make me give up on them. I need you to help me to show them that there is no statute of limitations on my grace. That what the Apostle Paul would say later to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 is is true. That I'm not just one with mercy, but I'm rich in mercy. I've got so much mercy that my account will never say insufficient funds. Hosea says in so many words God, what are you thinking? You uh, want me to preach a sermon? Ah, that'll come later. You want me to write a book? Ah, you'll do that later. God, what are you thinking? Hosea, I I know you've just graduated from seminary. You've got the MDiv, and you've just started your church. And I know you're single, but I'm going to fix that. Can't you see Hosea getting excited? I got a woman picked out for you, Hosea. Oh, I'm really excited now. What's her name? Her name, Hosea, is Gomer. Now, at this point, I ain't too excited because I ain't (laughs) never met a cute Gomer in my life. If your name is Gomer, I'm so sorry. I ain't talking about you. Well, Hosea asks, What does she do? God says, She's a woman of the night, she's a prostitute. Now, at this point, the smile is completely gone. If I'm Hosea, I'm thinking, no way, God. I mean, can't you just see our installation service as we kick off the church, walking down the center aisle, the prophet with the prostitute, the man of God with the woman of the night? That's too strange. And God says in so many words, that's exactly the point, Hosea. If you think it's strange that you would be married to that kind of person, I can do you one better. One better. The fact that I've married you, the fact that I stay with you, the fact that I put up with you even though you turn your back on me daily is an even stranger sight. What does it mean to love? How do we know that gospel hope is a people of love? Point number one, if it ain't ever strange. I don't think it's it's love it's easy to love people who are like me but it's kind of strange to love people who don't look like act like think like or vote like me our family recently moved to North Carolina in the previous four years we spent in the Bay Area Um, My youngest son thinks he's God's gift to basketball. He was ranked in the top 60 of basketball players on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, um, we are naming and claiming uh, his future and saving all the receipts. I want that reimbursement check. When we moved there, we moved there from New York City, and uh, he made this... um, this AAU team, and uh, uh, his first tournament was in San Francisco. So we were living in San Jose. We packed up a car, you know, headed up the 280 going north, and we spent the day in San Francisco for the tournament. And my son's the two guard, and we sat down next to the parents of uh, the point guard on our team, and the parents are, um, are two women. They're married. And we're sitting there having a conversation, and... Um, It's strange. I grew up in Atlanta in the 80s and 90s. Atlanta in the 80s and 90s was a little different than what it is now. And it's strange. We sit there, we have a good time over the course of the tournament, we get their information, we exchange phone numbers, we hop in the car, go back down south in 280. As my wife and I and family are driving back down south, my wife and I turn to each other and just kind of reflect on the conversation with this couple. And uh, my wife and I say to each other, in so many words, this is simplifying, what if the Lord has called us not to change them? Because I can't even change myself. But what if God's called us to love them. So we invite them over for dinner. They walk in, holding hands, and strange. Sitting at the table, we're, we're talking, and I ask them what they do for a living, and the whole time I'm saying to myself, please don't ask me what I do for a living. <laughs> and they don't. We hang out, eat good food, and that whole fall, that's what we're doing, just spending time with one another, getting getting to know one another. And and sure enough, a couple months into the new year, they looked at me and go, Brian, we've been hanging out all this time and you know what we do. We've never asked you, what do you do for a living? I go, here we go. I'm a pastor. I tell people how to find true meaning, value, and significance in life through God's only son, Jesus Christ. One of them immediately got up from the table, grabbed her purse, muttered under her uh, voice, I didn't see that one coming, and heads for the door. And I'm thinking to myself, y'all call us judgmental? I crack a joke, diffuse the situation, she comes back, we continue the night. And over the course of our relationship, you know, these are two women who are atheists and they just totally do life different than us. But then I got a call. One of them called me and said, hey, listen, our son is getting to that age in which it's obvious. He needs a man in his life. And, and we think you're that man. So we've actually moved from our home, which is 30 minutes away from you, and we've leased a new home around the corner from you because we'd like for you to spend time with our son. And I'm thinking, no pressure. She's like, we're doing a house blessing. Would you come over and bless our home? I said, as in pray to God? I'm there. So after church one Sunday, we head over there, me and my wife and my youngest son, and it's packed, and from the looks of it, we're the only heterosexual couple in the room, in the place, and I'm praying over everything. I'm anointing stuff and <laughs> spilled an extra bottle of oil in their room. <laughs> and someone's snapping pictures of me the whole time. The next day I'm in my office, it's a Monday, and uh, my wife texts me. She says, uh, they would untagged us on Facebook. And a few minutes later, one of the dear mothers from our church, an octogenarian lady. I had to use the word octogenarian just for you, Pastor Rod. Eighty-something-year-old lady from our church, she calls. She says, Pastor, I was on Facebook. I said, oh, gosh, here we go. Her words, not mine. Is my pastor partying with homosexuals? because the Jesus I know would never do that. Now there's a verse in the Bible I don't like. If I could cut out one verse in the Bible, it would be this. Do not rebuke an older person. (laughs) Because I know some older folk who need to be rebuked. I said, mother, you might want to read up on Jesus some more. Because the Jesus I know went to some strange places. and hung out with some strange people. How strange are your relationships? How strange is your dinner table? I've been pastoring multi-ethnic churches for a lot of time, and it's amazing. Some people come to multi-ethnic churches because it gives them street cred, but when they leave service, their relationships ain't multi-ethnic. How strange are your relationships? A couple months later, um, after one of our games, my wife and I went up to this couple. We said, look, real crazy idea. We're going to fly to New York this summer, spend a week there, and then we're going to go down to a Christian camp called Pine Cove just outside of Atlanta, a place called uh, somewhere in South Carolina. We'd love to take your son with us. We'll, we'll, we'll pay for everything. We know you have to think about it, but, but we'd love to do that. They said, we don't even need to think about it. We trust you. He comes with us, hangs out with us. On the last night of camp at Pine Cove, he says, Mr. LaRitz, I'd love to talk to you. I says, sure. We go for a walk. He says, I'd love to give my life to Jesus Christ. And right there on a lighted path, he gave his life to Christ. We get back to the Bay Area, and about a week later, his mama calls me. She says, I don't know what happened on that trip, but ever since my son came back, he's been Carrying a big Bible telling me I need Jesus. She said, my wife and I would love to come to your church. But Christians have hurt us. Is your church safe? If you came to our church the average Sunday, you would see my wife and I on the front row with this couple not compromising on the truth of God's word. And it would be a strange sight. What saved this boy wasn't a position paper. What saved him was love. John said, when I saw Jesus, I saw a man full of grace and truth. I love the order. Oftentimes people will not hear truth until they first feel grace. How strange are your relationships? We don't know when it happened, but it happened. I mean, you read our story, what you see right off the bat is he says, go again, which tells us they're estranged by the time we get to chapter three. And we know that they're estranged because it's not Hosea's fault, it's her fault. She's with another man. Now, at this point, if I'm Hosea, I'm like, thank you. Didn't want to be with her in the first place. This was your idea, God. God. Uh, Thank you. We we tried this experiment. It didn't work. She messed up. I'm out. And God just says, no, 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 no. Remember, this relationship ain't about your relationship. Your marriage is to tell the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just stop right here right now. Your marriage, your marriage, my marriage, isn't ultimately about paying bills. It's not ultimately about my happiness. It is about giving to the world a window into how God treats us. So God says in so many words, if every time, Hosea, you messed up, I wiped my hands clean of you, you wouldn't have made it out the first day. So I need you to do to her what I do to you numerous times every day. Go again. And go again and go again and go again. Quick question. I'm going to leave you alone. Who in your life do you need to go again with? Some of y'all didn't stop speaking to a person because one time they gossiped about you. Some of y'all stop speaking to a person because one time they slandered you. One time they told a lie on you. One time they betrayed you. Christians are a go again kind of people. So Hosea says, verse 2, you look at it with me. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. I'm almost done. Scholars say the devil is in the details. According to to, to modern parlance, Gomer is being trafficked. The going rate to emancipate a person who was being trafficked back then was 30 shekels. So why doesn't the text say, so I bought her for 30 shekels? Why does it say, I bought her for 15 shekels and a homer and a lethic of barley? Answer, he didn't have 30 shekels. So he scours his house. Looks in between the cushions, underneath the sofa, finds 15 shekels, maybe goes to the auctioneer, and says, Can you take 15 shekels? He says, Let me check with my manager. Manager says, No. He says, Well, what about if I add a Homer and a Lethic of bar- barley? They go back and forth. Absolutely. Ain't it something for the one who cheated on him? He has to go bankrupt. He has to pay everything he has. How do you know you're loving someone? Is it strange? Is it costly? If you ain't paying a price, you ain't loving. But isn't that our problem? We want Nordstrom quality community at thrift store prices. I mean, we actually brag on this. I love so-and-so because it's just so easy. But if I understand the Bible, the essence of the Bible describes love as being costly. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, Paul says. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus tells the story of what it looks like to love a neighbor, he talks to a man who's beaten down. The good Samaritan comes by and he's inconvenienced with his money. He's inconvenienced with his time. Love, biblical love, is inconveniencing yourself for the convenience of others. If it ain't costing you time, if it ain't costing you your emotions, you ain't loving Yes, should we set up boundaries? Yes, are there people out there who, you know, you just try and try and try, and there's no repentance? Absolutely. That's why Romans 12, 18 is given to us. As best as you can, be at peace with all men. But my concern in this individualized Western uh, community in which we live, that we're way too quick to erect boundaries than to go the extra mile in love. Who are you paying a price to love? Thirdly and finally, he emancipates her. And then look at what he says You must not play the whore. What is he doing here? He's giving her a standard. He's saying, Gomer, if this relationship's gonna work, we have to agree to a standard. See, if I didn't get to this point, I would make love to be this spineless thing that says you can just kind of walk over me as much as you want to walk over me. I'd make it this thing called tolerance. But no, he gives her he gives her a standard. See, that's why, you know, some of you all are freaking out about this illustration I gave with, with this, you know, gay couple. And, you know, you're just saying, I just, need, I just need to hear you say it's wrong. I just need you. Your inner Pharisee is just having a seizure. Please say it's wrong. Just please say it's wrong. I just need you to say that. And so they came to me. About two years into our friendship. They says, we've got an anniversary coming up. We'd love for you to do a renewal of the vows for us. And I'm just going, oh, you're killing me right now. I said, hey, you guys know I love you. We've had barbecues over here. We've got a barbecue coming up this Saturday. We've spent a lot of time together. You know, I picked up your kids, and we've just not. Am, am I allowed to disagree with you and not be called a bigot? said, I can't do it because I believe what the Bible says about marriage. I love her response. Oh, we figured you couldn't do it. You're being a bit dramatic right now. (laughs) This is literally what she said. We'll see at the barbecue. Why did that relationship continue? Because she knew that, to me, she wasn't a position paper. She wasn't a project. She was a woman made in the image of God. And I treated her with love, respect, and dignity. But as we end, I love the order. Notice he frees her and then gives her the standard. Had he given her the standard and then freed her, he would have made her emancipation conditional on her behavior. And that way, her obedience would have been in the category of duty and not delight. But because he frees her first and then gives the standard, now her obedience is in the category of delight and not duty. Duty. And it's at this point, I've I, I got to tell you, I've been preaching this text for the last however long I've been preaching it. All wrong. I've given you the secondary application. The secondary application is how we treat one another. But this text isn't ultimately about how we treat one another. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how God treats us. See, unless you understand we are all gomers. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Unless you are in touch with your inner gomer, you will not love the other gomers of the world. But when you understand I'm the messed up one, I'm the one in need of mercy... I'm the one who has constantly ripped out God's heart. When you see yourself as Gomer, and then you can go this route, and then you understand that what Hosea does to her is what God does to us. He goes again, and on the cross, Jesus Christ pays his 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley at great expense to himself. He was bankrupted so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Until you see that, you'll never love this way. And what does he do? He comes to the nation of Israel, and he does not say to Israel, hey, you're in bondage to Egypt. Here's 10 commandments. Do these 10 things, and I'll open up the Red Sea. No, that's not what he does. He opens up the Red Sea first, and then he gives them the 10 commandments. Why? So that their obedience would not be done out of duty, but out of delight. Isn't this Romans 2, 4? It is God's kindness that leads to our repentance. It is never our repentance that leads to God's kindness. I'm a Delta guy. I've flown a lot of miles with Delta, way too many miles. I have what's called diamond status with Delta. What that means is if there's an empty seat in first class, I get it. Now, this is a wonderful perk until I'm traveling with Sister Loritz, who has no status. I've had to learn the hard way it is not conducive to a healthy marriage for me to be chilling in first class, eating Biscoff cookies while Sister Loritz is sequestered in coach. So now when I travel with my wife, I've learned to do a different thing. Because of my status, they'll, they'll still give me the upgrade to coach, to, to, uh, to first class. But, but I'll sit down next to my wife in coach, which means I'm sitting in someone else's seat. That person will start barking at me. You're sitting in my seat. You're sitting in my seat. And I'll, I'll shut them up real quick by, by giving them my first class ticket. Now watch it. I, I haven't lost my status. I'm still diamond. I just refuse to use my status for my own selfish ends. Jesus Christ was chilling in the first class section of the universe called heaven. Saw we sinners languishing here in coach, headed for an eternity in heaven, took on flesh down here in coach and lived among us for 33 years. He was beaten, battered, and bruised, stretched out wide, crucified on our behalf so that we could get the upgrade back to heaven. That's love. To be a Christian means that we live that way. So, Father, I just pray. Four years of your faithfulness over gospel hope. Yes, may people say, they make disciples. And yes, may people say, they're a multi-ethnic church. And yes, may people say, Folk get saved there, and yes, may people say they teach the truth of God's word. But above all else, may they say, oh, you go to Gospel Hope. That's that's that peculiar people, not of tolerance, but of love. love that's strange. A love that's costly. A love that has a standard. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. By the love you have for one another. May it be so we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.